you have your pew Bibles with you, open to the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 2. We're going to look at the entirety of the chapter. You'll find that on page 875 in your pew Bibles. It is a lengthy chapter. I do plan on reading the entirety of it this morning as we consider um, some important things today. Um, I, myself, at least once a month, will be taking us through the book of Daniel. Um, And no doubt, as we go through it, you'll notice some very consistent themes throughout the book, Um, that being most likely the sovereignty of God in all things, no less a part of this chapter as it is in all of the others of it. But here particularly, we'll see how uh, the kingdom rule of God in Christ compares to uh, all the nations of the world and the nations uh, both in history's past and the nations even today. If you've ever expressed concern over the direction uh, of either this nation or just the world in general and its attitudes towards faithful, Bible-believing Christians, uh, have no fear. This passage is for you this morning. Daniel chapter 2 the entirety of the chapter. This is the word of the Lord. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream. My spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation." And they answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. 
to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, Because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods 
and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Thanks be to God for his eternal word. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word that you have given to us, communicated so many thousands of years ago, Uh, even the picturesque image of this vision given to a pagan king. Lord, help us to learn things from it, things pertaining to your kingdom rule, and things ultimately pertaining to your son, Jesus Christ. Show him, uh, show us uh, his glory this morning, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, Six million Jews dead in the Holocaust. Over a million people killed and buried by the Khmer Rouge uh, regime in Cambodia in the late 70s. The genocide in Rwanda. Millions more dead under the communist rule of Joseph Stalin. All of these, of course, were historic tragedies committed by men, the severe, depraved nature of them far eclipsing any uh, image of God, to be sure. Chaos, death, bloodshed, political turmoil, we mourn at such things. And yet these were uh, atrocities committed not specifically against the Christian community. We can think of the horrendous acts of persecution all throughout church history by the hands of Muslims in the name of Allah. We can think of terrorist groups in Africa, communist agendas in China uh, and elsewhere in Asia. But even, uh, not necessarily persecution, but uh, severe opposition even uh, within the ranks of the church itself as the devil aims to pit one against another in the covenant community. False teachers rise and churches fall. Schisms happen and liberal worldviews espoused in the name of Christian appear to rule the day, suppressing the infallibility and authority of Scripture and the seriousness of orthodoxy in the church. We see all of these things that take place, and we ask ourselves, why does God not take action? Uh, Surely Daniel himself must have uh, questioned the presence of the Lord in the thick of the Babylonian culture that he found himself in. Here's a man who has suffered quite a bit, uh, quite an ordeal, when the Babylonians conquered The kingdom of Judah destroyed the temple of Israel and carried Daniel and his friends and countless others away as captives to a completely foreign land. As one commentator noted, uh, being forced to work as a personal servant to the very king whose armies had crushed his people, Daniel could easily have grown bitter and cynical. He might have conformed to Babylon's brutal pagan ways to advance his career. Instead, he served the one true God for decades with humility, faith, integrity, prayer, righteousness, and courage. And we see his faithfulness all through the book of Daniel, as we'll see on our journey through that tome together. Uh, We see his faithfulness, especially in his prayers 
proclaiming God to be the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. But yet, when uh, we look at our lives and our attitudes towards the current cultural climate uh, today, we might say to ourselves, I don't have the resilience that Daniel had uh, in placing his faith in the Lord in this way, in this tumultuous culture he found himself in, if we even confess that we have faith in God at all. We, the, the faithful covenant Christian community, if we are indeed faithful, we must understand that we live in a volatile environment of ungodly, worldly governments, peoples, and ideologies, and every day with mounting oppression, whether that's on a global scale or even in our own communities, it appears as if God isn't in control. But God has given us his word that we read shortly ago, that he indeed is here present with us, and he has established a government that will never pass away, an eternal kingdom. Even in the midst of a tumultuous and sin-filled world, we must rest our faith in the sovereignty of God and trust in his kingdom rule in Christ. He knows what he's doing. It cannot be any other thing. And as we go through this text together this morning, we find comfort in a few things associated with God's sovereignty. We see how it exposes the limitations of mankind and their gods, so to speak. We see uh, how his sovereignty is recognized by his people in prayer and praise, and ultimately how his sovereignty reveals kingdom mysteries and exposes the plight of the nations. So first we see God's sovereignty as it exposes the limitations of mankind and their gods. Nebuchadnezzar, um, right off the bat here, has dreams or a dream, and it terrifies him. Now, we look back in hindsight after reading the entirety of this chapter, uh, so we know that the dream right here is of the Lord uh, regarding the future of Babylon. But Nebuchadnezzar himself is not sure what it means. Uh, even readers reading this for the first time uh, at this point aren't told what it means, as if we're just you know, right there with him in our futile understanding. Uh, perhaps he thinks the gods are truly just trying to tell him something about the future of his kingdom. But we know that gods are, are mute and dumb and cannot reveal such things. The sovereignty of God exposes the limits of mankind, even here in Nebuchadnezzar's being confounded over this dream. It takes interpretation of this special revelation to make it known. So what does he do? He summons his magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers. These are all magical religious officials uh, who presumably discern the will of the god or gods uh, through dreams in order to advise the king. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar also summoned the Chaldeans, who were a particular class of astrologer and fortune teller, as biblical archaeologists would tell us. And yet these affluent men can't tell the king anything. Not because they couldn't merely discern any sort of interpretation, but they couldn't tell the king what his dream was in the first place. This is what the king demanded of them. Perhaps this dream meant so much to Nebuchadnezzar, its implications 
uh, so serious that he wanted everything about it declared with such certainty as to be truly correct. You can't be wrong, so tell me what the dream was in the first place. And we see this, the pressure that these men were under, certain death if they cannot produce the contents of the dream. And we know they cannot because they are not the means that Yahweh will choose to disclose the contents of the dream. Look at their strife in verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. And here's where it gets interesting. Verse 11. Pay special attention here. The thing that that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. If you've read your Bible enough, you know of a God who dwells. As Mitchell Chase writes, the notion of God's dwelling with mortals may have seemed inconceivable in Babylonian lore, but the stories in Israel's history paint a much different picture. And here we get a little foreshadowing of what's to come. These magicians, enchanters, and Chaldeans, they can't discern the dream. None of these gods can disclose its contents, but the God who dwells can, the revealer of mysteries, and he is soon to use his prophet to do so. Enter Daniel. At this point, the king has dispatched Arioch, his captain of the king's guard, to go out and kill the wise men of Babylon for their failure to discern the contents of the dream. And Daniel just has this fortitude about him to approach Arioch about the matter. Why is the decree of, this king, of the king so urgent, he asks. Arioch makes the matter known to him, and Daniel subsequently arranges an appointment to meet with Nebuchadnezzar that he might show the interpretation to the king. What an incredible act of faith on behalf of Daniel to, at this point, just do this very thing. Because Daniel didn't even know what the dream was at all, let alone be able to interpret it. But here is one who trusts in the God who dwells, who reveals mysteries, who is sovereign over all the affairs of men and their nations. Here God exposes the limits of man, but he also exposes the limits of man's gods who do not dwell with men, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Daniel, of course, no doubt, knows the history of his people, Israel, uh, even before Israel in primeval times, before the fall even, when God dwelled with Adam and Eve in the garden, how God uh, throughout history then dwelled with Israel in the wilderness in the pillar of cloud and in the pillar of fire. Um, how his Shekinah glory then descended and dwelt in the tabernacle and the temple in Jerusalem. All through Scripture, there is what theologians call a biblical theology of God's dwelling place with his people. And what biblical theology does is track the development of God's revealing himself through redemptive history. So in this way, we have what we could call a biblical theology of God's dwelling with his people. Um, all through the Old Testament, unfolding in various ways, leading to his dwelling among men in the person of his incarnate son, Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews begins this way long ago at many times and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, today, 
He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. This is the word of God made flesh, the culmination of the revelation of God himself incarnate, walking among men, the one in whom all mystery is now revealed. And even after his ascension, he continues to dwell with us by his very spirit. This is what happened at Pentecost, the spirit that opens our eyes to uh, the truth of the gospel, to to understand his word as it's revealed to us, uh, to understand the reality of the kingdom of God, and to truly understand this work of him redeeming a people for himself. Indeed, how God even works in the affairs of this world. This is why we have a passage such as one we read this morning. He is sovereign over all things. His word tells us so. He has no limits, unlike the acts of men and the idols they conjure up. Only he can reveal the truth about the reality around us, and that's contained in his word. And he's about to do this through his prophet Daniel. And when we see God working in this way, we notice, secondly, that God's sovereignty is acknowledged by his people through prayer and praise. Verses 17 through 30 demonstrate that for us. Daniel went to his house and he made this matter of Nebuchadnezzar's dream known to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from who? The God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Only a supreme God from heaven could help his people on earth below. And Look at how quick it appears to happen in the text. All of a sudden, we're told right away in verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And what does this result in? Daniel blessed the God of heaven. How comforting it is to know that the God we worship is a God of heaven, the God of heaven. He's not relegated to one place here alone on earth. He's not only accessible at one particular time of the day. No, he is our omnipresent, sovereign Lord, worthy of all praise and worship. Mitchell Chase, again, makes an interesting observation here. Recognizing the context of the book of Daniel, where Daniel and his friends find themselves in exile in the nation of Babylon, away from Jerusalem. God of heaven is the transcendent creator who has shown favor to Daniel and his friends. God's power and wisdom are not restricted to the promised land, but with global jurisdiction, God is involved in the affairs of his people wherever they find themselves. Daniel's prayer begins, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Where is this wisdom and might displayed when God changes times and seasons? when he raises up kings and supplants them with another. We're uh, straight off the heels of that, right? The removal of one and the setting up of another in this nation's capital. And that's something that we'll have to continue wrestling with because God is totally sovereign over all powers and authorities, even in the wickedest of kings such as Nebuchadnezzar. God isn't only interested in the affairs of his people. God is intimately involved in the affairs of men in all time 
and places. No person is in power without the will of our Father in heaven. No person is in power without God ordaining it to be. We might have a multitude of differences with the current sitting president of the United States, but do you remember who put him there? John Calvin said when commenting on this passage where Scripture wishes to distinguish the true God from all fictions, it takes these two principles. First, God governs all things by his own hand. And secondly, nothing is hid from him. And I think this is very important for us as we render praise unto God, as we are doing here this morning. Do we, as uh, the children of the living God, do we derive our faith, hope, and love from our understanding of who God is and how he works in the world around us? Indeed, how he works even in the, the political situations that this nation finds, or finds itself in? Do we recognize God as sovereign in that way, and does it come out in our worship of him? I hope that we pray for wisdom and understanding that only he can give, as Daniel recognizes. God gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. Uh, He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. When Daniel needed to know the contents of the king's dream, he knew only God could grant that kind of wisdom, shedding light on something that otherwise would have just remained in darkness. Remember, this is who God is. He is the revealer of mysteries. And Daniel here, he renders praise to God, not just in private, but as we move through the text, we see that he does so in public Uh, giving credit to God in public as well, verses 27 through 29, uh, when the king uh, declares to Daniel, are you able to make known to me the dream that I've seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And he, as he goes on to relate to him that uh, the vision that was there, he again re- references God as the one who reveals mysteries and has made known what is to be. In his humbleness, he acknowledges before the king, but ultimately before God, as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. And as we recognize the God who has condescended, he brought himself to our level, to us puny human beings, to grant us his word, revealing himself in it, we recognize his sovereignty through our prayer and praise. That's what we're doing here this morning. As a gathered people, we've We've separated, we've chosen to separate ourselves from this world to gather here together. But when we leave this sacred place out into the world, into exile, so to speak, uh, could you tell someone what you were doing? Would you honor God before an inquiring world as Daniel honored the Lord before a wicked king who at that very moment was hellbent on destroying all the wise men of Babylon? God is Lord over all, even the person asking you such questions. That alone is worthy of our praise. Then thirdly, God's sovereignty reveals kingdom mysteries and the plight of the nations. 
And this revelation comes by way of the dream granted to Nebuchadnezzar, subsequently interpreted by Daniel. It's this uh, vision of of a mighty image of a statue, mighty and of exceeding brightness. The head of this image was of gold, chest and arms of silver, middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet iron mixed with clay. And then a stone cut out by no human hand, striking the image at its feet, subsequently demolishing the entirety of the image as it was broken into pieces and then becoming like chaff, blown away in the wind, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel moves on then to interpret this dream. Um, He comments that the statue here and its corresponding metal body parts represent earthly kingdoms, of course, probably in succession to one another. Uh, Notice, too, both the decreasing value of the metals, but also the increase of their strength and resolve. Uh, We have gold, silver, bronze, and then iron, then iron mixed with clay. Uh, A decrease in value probably representing the decrease in the the morals of these kingdoms. Uh, But as we've seen history play out, we see kingdoms increase in strength and toughness and resolve, and their dominions grow and expand. Much ink, of course, has been spilt on who exactly these kingdoms are. I'm preaching a sermon, so I'm not going to come down on a hard, fast interpretation for you. I'll just give you two, and um, I'll, let, I'll let you do with that what you will. The majority interpretation here is that the head of gold, we know the head of gold is Babylon because Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar this is so. Uh, then the corresponding nations after that um, would be Medo-Persia, Greece, and then the legs of iron, and then the iron mixed with clay would have been the Roman Empire. Uh, a second less familiar view is, of course, the head of gold being Babylon, but then the chest of silver being Media, um, bronze representing Media Persia, and the legs of iron being that of Greece. Uh, if you wish to know my particular stance on this, you can ask me after the service. But what follows the description and interpretation of the statue is of what is of utmost importance in this text. If we spend all of our time trying to figure out who exactly these kingdoms are, we're going to miss the big picture here. If we lose this, we gain nothing. Look at the rock. That's what's important. Examine its characteristics. Cut by no human hand. Seemingly coming out of the heavens to strike at the foundation of the statue slash nations and then taking root and growing as a mountain that filled the whole earth. Daniel's interpretation here is noteworthy. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Unlike the kingdoms that come before it, this kingdom is eternal in its duration. One theologian comments how Jesus reimagined this stone mountain metaphor when he spoke of God's kingdom as a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed it in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. 
Just another biblical example of how the kingdom of God started small but grows and expands, just like the stone in our text that became a great mountain and filled the entire earth. And when it topples the nations, what happens to them? They become like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carries them away so that not a trace of them could be found. This is uh, judgment language reminiscent of Psalm 1-4, where it says the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. And the glory of God's sovereign kingdom rule is uh, also portrayed for us in Isaiah, where it says in 2 verse 2, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. This word is sure. As Daniel said, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. The God of the Bible is the Lord of history and ruler over all authorities. And through his will, he is growing his kingdom as Christ reigns even now over all authorities and powers. This what we read today, this isn't just a mere prophecy about things that are going to happen in the future. It has very important kingdom principles that we must understand as Christians living as citizens of this kingdom. And as citizens, it's important that we recognize who the king of this kingdom is and how he rules and how he governs. He has supremacy over all kingdoms, kings, princes, principalities, governors, mayors, and presidents. We noted that the head of Babylon was gold. Sure enough, after that, subsequent kingdoms came and went, one supplanting the other, as God said would happen. All by the decree of God. He ordained these things to pass. And we've seen, even up to our present day, the tearing down of kings, the removal of kings and the planting of others in their stead. All through the centuries till the present day, God himself has guided history and its events and the powers that be, just as he has guided us, his people, all through the various trials that we have come through, that the world, that perhaps even governments have thrown at us. Into the hands of political rulers, it says, God has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, Christ said after his death and resurrection and just prior to his ascension in Matthew uh, 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you know what the current conditions of the world's nations are actually like in the sight of God? To the Lord, they are like, as Isaiah said, a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Truly, our God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Who did that come from? That came from the lips of Nebuchadnezzar himself. A temporary act of worship on his part, as we'll see later on. The revealer of mysteries And the one ultimately revealed, the word incarnate, Jesus Christ, is worthy of all worship 
by the world. May our faith be rooted in the roots of that mountain, Jesus Christ, as he takes us through this life and as you walk out the doors here this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we contemplate these weighty things about the world and about your uh, rule over above all things, we pray that you grant us uh, comfort by this word, knowing that all authority on earth and in heaven has been given into the hands of your Son, Jesus Christ. And someday, Lord, he'll return and the nations will be as a footstool under his feet. May we derive comfort from that as we leave here this morning, knowing that even with all the uh, mounting issues that may appear to come against us from the world outside, Lord, we know that your spirit dwells inside us, that we can uh, withstand all things because of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.